you know, when the when evil rises, life and death become less important to the world. Very interesting. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. My name is Rod Hembrick, and I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery. We are discovering the Bible. I believe the Word of God. And as we discover the Bible, we open up some ideas that uh, are really challenging. Now today. Uh, in approximately, really, in about five minutes, we're going to study Isaiah 57. It is really good, so stay there. That's a good one. Corey is here. Corey? We're looking at a lesson from Isaiah 59 from one of my not-so-favorite creatures, and not really not your favorite either. creature either, the spider. <laughs> Ryan? <laughs> all right. Well, today, my segment's all about the suffering servant prophesied about in Isaiah 52 and 53, although I'm going to be focused on a different prophecy about him, a prophecy concerning his ultimate victory. All right, let's open up our Bible guides and discover more of what's happening. Isaiah 57, 1 through 10. The righteous perishes, and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away, while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest in their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. But come here, you sons of the sorceress, you offspring of the adulterer and the harlot. Whom do you ridicule? Against whom do you make a wide mouth and stick out the tongue? Are you not children of transgression, offspring of falsehood, inflaming yourselves with gods under every green tree, slaying the children in the valleys under the clefts of the rocks? Among the smooth stones of the stream is your portion. They, they are your lot. Even to them... You have poured a drink offering. You have offered a grain offering. Should I receive comfort in these? On a lofty and high mountain, you have set your bed. Even there, you went up to offer sacrifice. Also behind the doors and their posts, you have set up your remembrance. For you have uncovered yourself to those other than me, and have gone up to them. You have enlarged your bed and made a covenant with them. You have loved their bed where you saw their nudity. You went to the king with ointment and increased your perfumes. You sent your messengers far off and even descended to Sheol. You are wearied in the length of your way, yet you did not say there is no hope. You have found the life of your hand. Therefore you were not grieved. Isaiah chapter 57, verses 1 through 10. Isaiah chapter 57, chapter 58, and chapter 59. Now, in Isaiah chapter 57, we learn that the people of God had taken a massive wrong turn. Uh-uh, shouldn't have done that. Evil had permeated their culture. God responds in a blunt way. He gives Isaiah a message for the people of Judah and doesn't mince words, doesn't soften the blow 
or deal sensitively with the people. The message cuts because it was true. As humans living in the world, we know all too well that truth is the first casualty when evil begins to rise. We end up losing the truth. We justify evil, we overlook it, we embrace it, even celebrate it. And when we turn away from the Lord, we make ourselves available to evil. We allow hell itself to break loose in our lives, both literally and metaphorically. Unfortunately, Isaiah 57 is a great passage to help us consider our present state of affairs. We're all looking for solutions to things we would call great evils, things like wars, things like violence. God's salvation is the cure. But to be saved, we have to repent. We have to be honest even about the things we would rather justify because it feels better. See, when we get into this level, it's not about feeling anymore. It's about truth. What's the truth? Very, very important. Take your Bible guide, turn to today's passage. And as you go there, uh, I would remind you, you can get a hold of your Bible guide by calling us or writing to us. A faster way to get a hold of a Bible guide is to go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. When you go there, click on the page of the Bible guide. It takes you to a place where you can make donations. Thank you so much for being sensitive to us and making that donation. That's how we live. And so that keeps us alive. We don't tell you the amount because the Holy Spirit will tell you the amount. And we trust the work of the Holy Spirit in you. So if you want to become a partner, thank you so much. But after you're done there, it takes you to a page where you can download the Bible guide exactly how it's printed. Very, very good. Now, we're going to be talking about when everything goes wrong. Kind of interesting, isn't it? When everything goes wrong. Is that relevant today? Father, help us today to understand this. Put it in our hearts. Lord, when we pray, show us your way and teach us your path. That, that's what we mean. Things have gone wrong. Weird stuff is happening. Things that wrong is right and right is what in the world? Help us, Lord. Help us. Show us your way. Teach us your path. In the name of Jesus Christ. And we said together, amen. Now, as we look at this, this becomes very relevant. It says in Isaiah 57, 1 and 2, here's what it says. The righteous perishes and no man takes it to heart. Merciful men are taken away while no one considers that the righteous is taken away from evil. He shall enter into peace. They shall rest their beds, each one walking in his uprightness. What's he saying? Isaiah writes that when evil rises, righteous men are ignored and their death is not even considered. We should repent to God. Beloved, I will say this again. We don't change the world. By this political party or that political party or this step or that step, we change the world by repenting ourselves, changing the way we are. 
Lord Jesus Christ, help us to change the way we are. We are people who are not always right. We are people who frequently are wrong. Help us to recognize that and get with your Holy Spirit. And may your Spirit speak to us, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ. He carries on. Verse 3. But come here, you sons of the sorcerers, you offspring of the adulterer and the harlot. Whom do you ridicule? Against whom do you make wide mouth and strike out the tongue? Are you not children of transgression, offspring of falsehood, inflaming yourselves with gods under every green tree, slaying the children in the valleys? Look at that line, slaying the children in the valleys, under the clefts of the rock, among the smooth stones of the stream is your portion. They, they are your lot. Even to them you have poured a drink offering. You have offered a grain offering. Should I receive comfort in these? Children are the ones who suffer evil when it surfaces. Children are the ones who suffer evil when it surfaces, not us. We must repent and turn away from evil for the sake of our children. Our children are the ones who suffer. Beloved, this is so important for us to get this today. Our wrongness bears itself out 20 years from now. Lord Jesus, help us. We've been wrong. We repent. Help us to turn around. In the name of Jesus Christ, I say, Lord Jesus, we need you. Look at the next verse. Isaiah 57, 7 to 10. On a lofty and high mountain, you have set your bed. Even there, you went up to offer sacrifices. Also behind the doors and their post, you have set up your remembrance. For you have uncovered yourself to those other than me and have gone up to them. You have enlarged your bed and made a covenant with them. You have loved their bed where you saw their nudity. You went to the king with ointment and increased your perfumes. You set your messengers far off and even descended to Sheol, death. You are wearied in the length of your way. You did not say there is no hope. You have found the life of your hand. Therefore, you were not grieved. Last point. Sexual exploitation is the sure mark of evil. Sexual exploitation is the sure mark of evil. We must come back to Jesus Christ. We must give our lives to God and allow him to change us. If we want to solve many of the problems we have, the Bible tells us that sexual experience is confined into the covenant of marriage. Let's get back to that. That would solve a range of problem and a whole lot of money if we got back to that. And in marriage, if we gave our marriages to God and married under him, 
things would change drastically. Something to think about. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. All right, so over the weekend, we read the famous suffering servant passage in Isaiah chapters 52 and 53. And I firmly believe that this servant is none other than Jesus of Nazareth. He's the only person in all of history to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy here. But today, rather than focusing on the suffering aspect of this servant, namely Jesus Christ, I want to focus on another prophecy, a prophecy about his ultimate victory. And this victory is first foretold all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Check it out. The Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ, was prophesied right from the very beginning. In fact, the very first messianic prophecy is declared through God's proclamation against Satan in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. This offspring, identified as the seed of the woman, is very unique and unusual, because it is contrary to the biblical norm. Normally, scriptural genealogies trace the seed after the male line, so this particular offspring was going to be different somehow. Though it was not made clear here how he would be different, God would later reveal through his prophet Isaiah that this seed will be born of a virgin. Hence, he is the seed of the woman and not of the man. Significantly, Eve also appears to have recognized God's declaration in Genesis 3.15 as a messianic prophecy. This can be seen in her response to the birth of her first son, Cain. Though English Bibles generally translate her reply as, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord, the words with the help of are not found in the Hebrew text. So in Hebrew, she literally says, I have gotten a man, the Lord. While she might have incorrectly assumed that Cain was that promised redeemer, she nevertheless understood the prophecy to be messianic. Like Eve, Lamech also seems to have understood the prophecy, but may have also misidentified his son as that Messiah. And he called his name Noah, saying, This one will comfort us concerning our work and the toil of our hands, because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. Most significantly, it is apparent that Satan himself also recognized this prophecy as messianic and, as a result, made many attempts to prevent the birth and fulfillment of the Messiah. Genesis 3.15 is indeed the first of many messianic prophecies throughout the Old Testament, and we can be sure that Jesus Christ will soon crush the head of Satan once and for all. You know, we shouldn't really be surprised to find prophecies about Jesus from the very start of the Bible and all throughout it. 
I mean, remember on the road to Emmaus how Jesus, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, expounded to some of his disciples in all the scriptures concerning himself. And Psalm 40, verse 7, and Hebrews 10, verse 7, declared that the volume of the book is written about him. And I'll tell you what, I would have absolutely loved to be sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him expound the scriptures and showing me each and every place where he's mentioned or alluded to. There's no better teacher of the word than the Lord God himself, because after all, he did write it. I think it's important to remember that God knew everybody would be reading it in all across time. And the cultures would be different because human beings are, they, they react in different ways in different times. And so he would explain to you uh, who he is here, who he is here, and who he is here. I think that would be, you're right, that would be oh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely yeah. fascinating. I, yeah, because I know I know there's places that, that he's mentioned that we've just missed. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. and some translations don't catch it. Yeah. And so I, it's just it's one of those questions that I want to ask Jesus one day. Can you show me where everywhere, <laughs> you know, you you spoke about yourself? You know, I, I did this uh, several years ago, about 20 years ago. Uh, I took a, I had a computer program that searched the Hebrew and, and all of that and, and the Aramaic and so on. And so I typed in Yeshua. I typed in the name of Jesus Christ and or Yeshua HaMashiach, mm -hmm. and, uh, and it showed up in the most interesting places. Mm. Uh, in fact, it was uh, really something because there, there are several names of, of Jesus Christ, and uh, it was really interesting. So it prompted me to purchase a Bible that showed the names of Jesus or the names of God. Mm. And Yeah. Uh, that's a, another whole interesting study. I'm I mean, telling you. Each of the names of God is a study in itself. And it really is fascinating. And I thought, well, I'll just memorize all the names of God. And then I started going through it. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. Six names of God. Anyway, so it, it was, but it was really interesting mm. and uh, so fascinating. Thank you, Ryan. Mm. Corey. Okay. Spiders. <sighs> I do appreciate their work. <laughs> I love this. I also appreciate their work. Yes. I just would appreciate their work not close to me. Yes. From afar. From yeah. afar. You don't like spiders. I am not a fan. My kids love spiders. They're constantly collecting spiders. Yay, it's great. But <laughs> spiders show up here in Isaiah chapter 59. And I think it's really interesting because so the prophet is dealing with the sins of the people. God is dealing with the sins of the people and uh, be, because the sins are beginning to, to, to be judged. And so there's all of these questions that pop up with the people. What have we done wrong? God can't save us? Like what's going on here, right? So I'm going to read to you just the first few verses of Isaiah 59 because it's really interesting. It starts like this. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear. He hears your cries for help. Here's the problem in verse two. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Now here comes the indictment of what's wrong. What sins? For your hands are stained with blood, your fingers with guilt. Your lips have spoken falsely. Ooh, that one kind of hurts, doesn't it? Because you go from like murder, mm -hmm. blood on your hands. Most of us are not guilty of that, at least outrightly. But your lips have spoken falsely. Everybody. And your tongue mutters wicked things. Mm. No one calls for justice. No one pleads a case with integrity. They rely on empty arguments. 
They utter lies. They conceive trouble and give birth to evil. Here comes the spiders. They hatch the eggs of vipers and spin a spider's web. Whoever eats their eggs will die, and when one is broken, an adder is hatched. Their cobwebs are useless for clothing. They cannot cover themselves with what they make. Their deeds are evil deeds. The acts of violence are in their hands. I'm going to stop there because when I read that today, it really struck me that... So today, you know, fast fashion, machines make our clothes here in the West. We're very divorced. We're separated from the process. But in the ancient world, and I mean most of the world until a few hundred years ago, clothing was handmade. It was weaved with our hands. So as spiders weave a web, humans would weave clothing, right? To cover ourselves with for protection. We need clothing. Ever since Adam and Eve fell, we need clothing. But it's interesting because the spider's webs are beautiful and they're intricate and they take a lot of time. But Isaiah is saying here, their cobwebs are useless for clothing. So these people are thinking that they're doing righteous acts. They think that they're doing something that is good, something that is beneficial, and it looks beautiful. What a marvelous pattern is in this spider web. But then when you go to use it for clothing, it's actually useless mm -hmm. and you can't clothe yourself with it. And I just found that so interesting. I am um, a really interesting picture for describing our acts of righteousness that come yes. from ourselves yes. without God, what we call righteous, you know? Um, and this isn't the only time where the Bible talks about clothing. Exactly. I'm going to bring up a verse, but even before that, you, you brought up Adam and Eve. And, and when Adam sinned, before then, they were clothed with light. They mm -hmm. didn't need, they didn't even see their nakedness mm -hmm. until they sinned, mm -hmm. um, going against what God had said. And so they, in their embarrassment, tried to cover themselves. We, we read that they used fig leaves to mm -hmm. cover themselves. But we know from the scripture that that wasn't appropriate. There wasn't, wasn't it wasn't adequate. It couldn't save them and it couldn't hide anything from them. It was God who clothed them with the skins of an animal. Mm -hmm. They saw the result they saw bloodshed as a result of going against God. Mm -hmm. And so it's the work of our hands always is never enough. It's not what God has created. We see here, we were talking about this and, and just uh, a couple of chapters over in Isaiah 61 verse 10, mm -hmm. Isaiah says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. So this isn't anything that Isaiah has done. Mm -hmm. This isn't anything that Adam or Eve could have done. This isn't anything that Janice or Corey could do. This is the work of God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. So this is this goes beyond. It's not just we hear about white robes in in Revelation that we're clothed with white robes. We see a, a, a vision of Joshua 
standing before God and Satan yeah. coming to accuse him and he's all dirty and, and Satan is coming to accuse him and and God clothes him yeah. in clean white garments. This is the work of God. We can't create, a spider can do it like you said, a beautiful, and I can appreciate it. Absolutely. Oh my goodness, when you see a spider web, especially in the morning when the dew is on it and the sun it's beautiful. It looks like little diamonds and it's so intricately woven. But if you just touch it, it falls apart. It falls apart. It falls apart. The same with the work that we try to do. We, we can't boast of ourselves. We can't boast in, in, in our goodness because it's not our goodness. Mm -hmm. It comes from God and, and his work, not our work. And there's a there's another verse in Isaiah a few a few chapters over in Isaiah chapter sixty four is verse six that says all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags right so we can try we can yes. try to 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 be righteous before God but without the saving work of Jesus Christ were nothing. And then when we hop over into the New Testament, what we're going to see, uh, you know, as, as you read in Isaiah, who prophesied, you know, the robes of righteousness that God put on, when we get into the New Testament, we're going to see that it's Christ's righteousness that we wear like a garment because otherwise we are naked. <laughs> yes. We've got spider webs, guys. We've got, we've got filthy rags. We, we, Unless we have Jesus Christ, that's all we have to offer. Christ clothes us like God clothed Adam and Eve. Yes. This time it was the sacrifice of Christ that makes atonement for our sin, right? I think it's important to remember that what you said uh, in what the scripture says there is that our work, the work of our hands mm -hmm. uh, is not good enough. And I'm struck by the scene that is brought forth in the Garden of Eden when they tried to cover themselves with leaves. Mm -hmm. And it is God who did the first sacrifice. Mm -hmm. It is God who made the first animal to die, to use that animal's skin to cover them. And it's God who did the last sacrifice. In yes. fact, it is. And, and his robes of righteousness cover us cover now us. for eternal Revelation life. 19, what are we covered with? We're covered with white linen. Mm -hmm. So that, I mean, that's the work of God and our work, God's work through our hands is so different than our work with our hands. Mm -hmm. And so that becomes very important. We need to remember that today. This has been a great discussion. I mean, just listen. The depth of the word of God is like no other. We need to study it every single day. We need to pray for the nation of Lebanon. Father, we pray for the people in Lebanon. It's such a mess. We pray, Lord, that you would touch the people and return your witness there. Help them, Father, in Jesus' name. And Lord, I also pray for a change in my heart. Holy Spirit, I pray for your presence to come into my heart, to shift my way of thinking 
so that I can begin to understand what you're doing and get with your plan. In Jesus' name, amen.